Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. Lessons from Finland, Part 1. Ever since I saw Passy Salberg speak at the IPPN conference, I wanted to visit Finland to witness what he called the Finnish miracle. How could a country with roughly the same number of people as Ireland, a similar Northern European outlook, and even worse weather than us in Ireland, become the envy of the Western world? not only constantly topping the world's happiest country list, but also one of the most lauded education systems in the world. Even without every single multinational tech giant sitting on the docklands of their capital city, they managed to produce the likes of Nokia and Rovio. Nokia, which was, I mean, pre-Apple, the best-selling mobile phone in the world, and Rovio, the creators of Angry Birds Universe. Well, I finally got the chance to visit the land of Moomins and Fatser Chocolate and see firsthand the primary education system in Finland. And what lessons can we learn from them if I were the Minister for Education? Hello, hello, or given the subject of this podcast, I should say, hey, hey, this is Simon Lewis from Unshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to the podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education about it. And if you enjoy this or any other episode, please consider leaving a review. I spend a lot of time giving out about the Irish education system on this podcast. So maybe it's time I give you a break and I focus on another country's education system. I've wanted to witness the Finnish education system for a very long time and I finally got the opportunity about a month ago when a colleague of mine in Germany established a link with a school there and asked me if I'd be able to send a few teachers over to focus on outdoor learning. Now before I begin, you might be wondering a couple of things. Firstly, how did I get a German colleague? And secondly, even if I did have a few teachers, how was I going to get them to go to Finland in the first place? Well, let me share with you a not so little known secret. Calling it a secret is a total lie because it's far from it. It's just that for some reason, not that many Irish schools seem to do this. It's called Erasmus Plus and it's an EU initiative that allows schools all over the EU to learn from each other in loads of different ways. Now many of you will associate the word Erasmus with the gap year in college, but down in the lower depths of the underfunded primary education system, Erasmus is live, is alive and well. Schools can interact with each other through e-twinning without ever leaving their classrooms, but they can also establish bigger projects where they can travel to each other and learn something or a lot of things from each other too. 
The first time I ever did an Erasmus Plus project was as a result of me going to a conference in a city I'd never heard of in Sweden. It wasn't Stockholm. I can't actually even remember the name of the city. But there I was and I met a really enthusiastic English head teacher from Blackpool. And all of a sudden, I was in a project with schools all across Europe called Thank EU for the Music, which celebrated music teaching across Europe, and which I'm still convinced was only picked to make that pun. It's a good pun though, isn't it? This led me heading to this led to me heading to Blackpool for a few days to spend some time in a British school and how they did things, and some of my staff headed over to Germany to learn about the German music curriculum. The project was really good. And we're still using some of the resources we actually learned from that project almost 10 years later. And since then, we regularly take part in these Erasmus Plus projects, and it's absolutely transformed the way we think about school lunches, for example, and as we speak, outdoor learning, amongst loads of other things. We've been doing this for over 10 years. Now, our school has been trying to focus on outdoor education I suppose we've been doing it since before it was cool. <laughs> we were inspired by a lot of what we'd seen on previous Erasmus Plus trips, where we researched the way different countries did lunch provision, for example. So we were doing a big project on lunch provision, and we noticed actually while we were doing that, there was a lot of focus on outdoor education. So we also, um, as I said, and you know, when we saw that, we decided, hold on a second. There's something to this outdoor education thing. This is about five or six years ago. And with that, we decided that was going to be our next project. Now, the School Lunch Project is a whole other podcast, which I'll get into another day. So the trip to Finland uh, was one of the final trips in this particular project. Now, me leaving my school for five days isn't an easy thing to do between leaving my school for five days and leaving my family for five days and leaving all the other fingers I have in various pies for five days. But I really, really wanted to visit a Finnish school to see what it was that they do to make them one of the most admired and successful education systems in the world. And thanks to my very understanding staff and my even more understanding family, I managed to fulfill an educational dream of mine. The focus of the trip was outdoor learning, and I was very interested in that, but I also wanted to steal as much information as I could about everything else the Finns do so well. Before I get to the education side of things, and maybe it might set things into context, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Finland and my experience of it. The first thing I experienced was, well, it wasn't as cold as I thought it would be. The week before I went, for example, it was 28 degrees, and in mid-September it had got down to about 16 degrees, about the same as it was in Ireland. And for whatever reason, despite being the northernmost capital city in the world, I expected it to be freezing. <laughs> yeah, how Irish is that? The first thing I'm going to do about a podcast on Finland is talk about the weather. Great. Well, anyway, that's not something I found that the Finns were into, actually. They weren't interested in talking about the weather. No, small talk was something I found myself floundering in. I don't know if it's an Irish thing to dislike silence and to fill it with inane blabber, but I found that there's nothing more than the Finns like than a good old silence. As someone said to me uh, when I was over there, the, how the way the Finns work the world is, shall I say 10 words when one will do? 
Now, I played several gambits when I was talking about the weather. Um, so I'd say, gosh, geez, it's not that cold. And it garnered absolute silence. I made pleasantries. Gosh, this is lovely. When I was referring to the food. Yes, was the response. I asked questions. Sure, are you into the soccer at all? A bit. Oh, sure, isn't, isn't Timu Puki the big player there? Yes. And what's he doing now? He, he seems to be less prolific than he was. Yes. Followed by a very long pause as I scrambled to think of something else to say. <sighs> there was no helping. And BAM! I thought of something. He's still, he's still playing for Norwich, is he now? I don't know. Maybe. Well, that was four words. I, I guess I got somewhere. Anyway, I stayed in a place just outside the city centre, just under four kilometres from the main centre of town, of the city, the, uh, and from the main train station there, which was in the middle of the city, unlike uh, Dublin, where Houston Station is like a 40-minute walk from the city centre. But anyway, the hotel was beside a shopping centre, which uh, also was a train station, hotel, and wellness centre. Honestly, it was all those things. And there were a couple of things about this. And um, Firstly, obviously, the trains. If I wanted to get into the city centre from where I was, there was a train almost every minute to get me there. And if I wanted to return from the city centre, there was also one almost every minute too. Even at the dregs of night, you'd be waiting for no longer than 10 minutes for a train. And the cost was negligible. For the amount of travelling I did, it worked out at about €2 Euro a train trip. And naturally, the train connected perfectly with the airport, with trains going there every 20 minutes from the city centre. And there was also a really good tram system around the city, which essentially got you anywhere you wanted in the city. It also ran very regularly, and it was used by people. And, of course, you could use the same tickets for trams as trains. Oh, and let's not forget the bus service as well. And yes, you could use the same tickets as the trams, as the trains, as the buses. Oh, and the tickets were an app on your phone. Now, I have to tell you about my trip to the school I was visiting. To give you the context, if we think of it in Irish terms, okay? Basically, I was staying in the equivalent of, let's say, Terenure in Dublin. And the school was probably, I don't know, the equivalent of going of Glendalough, let's say, in, in County Wicklow. So in Ireland, the only way of getting there in less than three and a half hours by public transport is to take a bus at either 10.50 in the morning or 5.15 in the evening, which will get you there in two hours and 28 minutes and two buses. At other times of the day, it's three buses and three and a half hours. And um, to drive there takes just over an hour, just for the record. So from Pasilla, where I was staying, to Noxio, Forest Park, that's a train followed by a bus that is timed to actually meet the train, and it takes an hour to get there. Driving is about 10 minutes quicker. So, I mean, I was apt, as you can tell, I was enthralled. I've been going on about it for so long. I was enthralled by the transport system. The school I was viewing was, um, as I said, it was just a train and a bus and under an hour, despite being well outside Helsinki. And on my last day, I actually went in a park run in the middle of nowhere. It was the, the park run in the Helsinki was cancelled because of some other race. So I had to go to the one outside of that. It was somewhere like outside Espo or somewhere like that, a different city altogether. And I gave myself the same amount of time one might need just to be sure if you were living in Ireland to get there. 
And I actually ended up there almost an hour early. And when I spoke to people in the school about how amazing their transport system was, I, I mean, I went on about it. And the reply was, yes. No wonder they were all up in arms about their Prime Minister, Sanna Marin, the world's youngest serving state leader and the youngest Prime Minister in Finland's history at 34, because she'd just been in the news for a horrendous crime of dancing with her friends at a party. It was seen as unbecoming of a leader of a country and opposition parties even put pressure on her to take a drug test, which she did. I mean, can you imagine if we did the same thing in, uh, in, in like, I don't know, in the Fianna Fáil tent at the ploughing back in the Celtic Tiger days? I mean, if you could get more than a, f- that, if you could get more than a few words out of them, the country was really split over uh, Sanna Marin's dancing because, you know, this is very, you know, this is more than, more than a word or two. She's dancing and having fun and smiling and laughing. I mean, most people, I mean, I suppose, reacted as you'd expect. She's a young woman going out with her friends. Cop on. But others thought the opposite. And actually, in the latest uh, voting polls, she'd actually dropped three points when I was there, which is amazing. I actually take uh, polls every month to see how the how things are going. And if they reach a certain stage, they might call it an election. Oh, it's so well run. Anyway, you're probably wondering when I'll ever get to talk about the education system. So I better get on with it. And if this were the finished version of If I Were the Minister for Education, I probably would have ended it ages ago. But before I do, I do have to talk about something else. Chocolate and coffee. Did you know that Finnish people drink more coffee per capita than any other country? Well, now you do. And even with that, they still don't speak very much. Um, Anyway, when it comes to chocolate, the Finns are also obsessed by it, with an amusingly named company with the biggest in in the country called Fatser. And Fatser chocolate is found everywhere, and there are even Fatser cafes. Sorry, Finland, despite your obsession with chocolate, we Irish eat way more chocolate than you do. In fact, we have the fourth highest consumption of chocolate per capita in the world. Finland are in a lowly 11th place. And because I'm sure you've asked, yes, Switzerland are top of the table. And after sampling my fair share of Fatser chocolate while I was there, I came to the conclusion that it tastes similar to a Yorkie bar. Cadbury's versus Fatser, and the older I get, the more I like Cadbury's, but I'd never say no to a square of fatter. Okay, 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 okay. Let's get on to the Finnish education system to set it into context, because before I even begin, some of you will be thinking, Ah, Simon, sure you're comparing apples to oranges when you're comparing the Irish education system to the Finnish education system. This system's completely different. Why are you even going to even bother with it? Well, nearly all of the educational institutions in Finland are public, very similar to Ireland. Uh, Less than 0.8% of them are private, according to EduFile, who profile these kind of things. And this is sort of similar to Ireland insofar as almost all primary schools in Ireland are public as well, insofar as they're all publicly funded. I actually only know of two private primary schools, but I'm sure there are a few more than that. But I'd imagine it's around the same percentage, less than 1% of primary schools are public. Or sorry, private. Uh, Finland has a population of 5.5 million people, so about 10% more than Ireland. However, much like Ireland, Finland has quite a lot of schools given its population, about 10% more than Ireland again. And most of them are small schools, much like, yes, Ireland. Even in terms of multiculturalism, 
Things are very similar, with 86% of the Finnish population identifying as Finnish, compared to Ireland, where 83% of the Irish population identifies as Irish. So far, so similar. There are roughly also the same number of students attending schools in Finland as there are in Ireland. And to be honest, if I'm really, really honest, there's very, very few other countries I can think of that could be any more similar to Finland than Ireland. Even the religious influence in our schools is evident. It's amazing. The Finns are heavily influenced by a hangover of their Lutheran past in a very similar manner that we're heavily influenced by our country's Catholic past. And I use the word past in the same way as I suppose the Finnish people use the Lutheran past because they're both very much in their schools. Their respective religions are still very strong. And despite both of our countries rejecting most of the tenets of their respective faiths, it leaves both countries with this paradoxical kind of liberal conservatism, which I kind of found very interesting. And I'll talk a little bit more about religion later because it wouldn't really be my podcast if I didn't bring that up, is it? So given the fact that we have a very similar number of schools and students, a similar makeup of types of schools, and even similar diversity in our school-going population, why is it that the Finns outperform us at almost every level when it comes to education? Well, if you read articles on the internet, they tend to compare their system you know, like the internet articles tend to compare the Finnish system to the UK or the US one. And the most quoted articles on the internet are the Smithsonian magazine from 2011. If you Google um, the the Finnish education system, you'll get something from the Smithsonian, sorry, magazine from 2011. And even more, um, 10 reasons why the Finland's education system is the best in the world from Big Think, which was reproduced by the World Economic Forum, the two most popular blog posts on the system. And both compare the system to the United States, which is fine. But with Ireland being so similar in every other way, it makes a huge amount more sense to compare us to the Finnish education system. And I will link those two articles in any case. However, talk to most people and they'll often quote some of the top 10 reasons. You probably know many of them, for example. So you talk to anyone about the Finnish education system, uh, you know, and what makes it so good. They'll talk about things like no homework, shorter school days, no standardized testing, starting school at an older age, and so on. And one of the reasons that jumped out at me when I was reading this was cooperation rather than competition. Yes, in Finnish schools, um, basically their schools don't compete with each other. And in Ireland, though, the difference is it's core to everything. Now, while this might seem unimportant to most people, I see the competitive nature between schools as something that has a major effect on our system. Now, you might say to me, ah, no, Simon, schools don't compete against each other. But you go around the countryside, you go around the country uh, around, I don't know, May and June or even January, actually, any time when enrollments are happening, you go around mostly rural towns, you'll see... Um, kind of big posters um, uh, on the sides of the road saying now enrolling such and such national school um, and blah, blah blah and the reason they do this is because they are competing for children in other schools and if you hear um, the likes of the IPPN and the rest of them saying about the collegiality between schools it's absolute nonsense schools are competing with each other all the time you know and 
And, and I think if you just think about it and think about your own school, uh, when you lose, particularly in small schools, if you lose a family, that could mean the end of a teacher or something like that. Or if you gain uh, a family, you'll gain, you might gain a teacher or more resources. And you do gain more resources because for every child you get in Ireland, that's an extra 183 euro uh, per, uh, per year um, in terms of your capitation grant, which is a lot for some schools. Um, and I, I mean, the more and more, I mean, I won't delve into it too much, but take it from me, schools in Ireland compete against each other. You just go to your local IPPN uh, principal network meeting and you'll see that in action. But um, as I said, anyway, if you in Finland, if you, you basically don't have that, you just go to your nearest school. That's kind of what you do. You don't get to choose where you want to go to school. Um, you go to your nearest school. And in Ireland, um, we have this kind of, because we have choice and this annoying thing, that I always go on about choice being a bad thing when it comes to school. What that means is you have phenomena like uh, white flight, where white middle class people move to the suburbs or move out to the country in, 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 in sort of more rural areas to find a place where they don't have to deal with uh, with multiculturalism, with people of who are who are different to them, uh, different ethnic minorities. And other, so that you get these schools that are just full of white children. You um, and this is um, much more pronounced at second level in Ireland when 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 one looks at those league tables. However, although we don't have league tables yet in Ireland, we probably all know what they'd look like in primary schools. The most successful schools would be very similar to private schools that you see, and uh, and I suppose Gaelcolosti in 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 the Irish league tables. The myth of the good school where middle-class competitive families try and find the most respectable in inverted commas school is something that causes massive divisions and creates a weird kind of inequitable landscape in our Irish education system. Very, very different to Finland where everyone just goes to their nearest school. Having, however, having said all of that, it wasn't the first thing that jumped out at me when I visited the school that I visited. No, you won't be surprised to hear that the first thing that jumped out to me was the size of classes. Not one class had more than 20 children in it, and those that had more than 15 seemed to have an assistant teacher too. The principal told me that after COVID-19, the government basically doubled the number of teaching assistants available for schools, so he had 15 teachers and 10 teaching assistants. And in case I didn't say it, there were fewer than 20 children in each classroom. <laughs> the principal told me that sometimes the population in his area rises and falls, and this means class sizes can become very small at times, but it doesn't affect employment because they don't have this crazy system that we have over here, where the number of teachers is directly correlated to the number of pupils enrolled, which means that schools will pack in a few more pupils in their classroom in Ireland just in case a class or two ends up being smaller than the allowed average, and hence why we have what the INTO call supersized classes. And just in case I didn't say that clearly enough, we don't have teaching assistants in Ireland either. One assumption I had before I went to Finland that was that I was going to be blown away by the teaching. After all, every teacher in Finland has to have a master's, and only 10% of people who want to become teachers become teachers. I got to observe a few classes and I got to listen to a number of teachers talk about their planning. And look, I'm not being offensive when I say this, but I was blown away. Not by how good the teaching was, but by the exact opposite. 
I found the actual teaching methodologies that I witnessed were far more rudimentary than Irish classrooms. I saw little in the way of differentiation. I saw a lot of direct teaching. I didn't see very many methodologies at all, if I'm honest. And I can honestly say that I think teachers in Ireland are far more advanced. Teachers in Ireland are often given a very, very hard time. But apart from the UK, I've yet to visit a country where I felt we were inferior in the way that we actually do our teaching. And to be honest, I thought perhaps it might have been an exception, but I've since asked a few teachers I know who've been to Finland and they've all agreed there is nothing, nothing at all that they did that Irish teachers haven't been doing for a very long time. But if they don't have brilliant teachers, why are the Finns still such a force to be reckoned with? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons and I think we could sum them up with two M's. Money and mindset. Now I've spoken before about the two M's of education, mainly when I'm talking about technology in the Irish education system whenever I'm giving you know speeches and things like that about technology and I talk about the two M's. But I'm talking about money and mindset in a different way. When we lack both money and the right mindset, we underachieve, as you might expect in any way. If we pump money into technology, for example, but provide nothing to change traditional mindsets, we still underachieve. Mindset without money, obviously, you don't, you're not going to have any success. And when it comes to Finland, much like their well-thought-out transport system and their multi-purpose shopping centres come train stations come wellness centres, their schools benefit greatly from the two M's. They have enough money and an extremely considered mindset. Everybody probably knows how the Finns accidentally became the most successful country in the world. When in the 1980s, when the country was as broke as Ireland was, they decided to put their money into education. And a generation later, the country basically topped all of the international tables for education. And they didn't simply throw money at schools, they also had a mindset. They had a plan. As I said, Everything in Finland is so considered. For example, if you go to any school in Finland, there are large outdoor areas, often beside a forest or a proper athletics track, and there is almost always a playground too for public use. And in fact, wherever there is an urban area, there is also a forested area, even in the middle of cities. For example, Helsinki city centre has several green areas, almost like lungs going through it. The school I visited was a small one with under 300 pupils, and it also contained a yard which is about the size of a football pitch, there was a proper athletics track beside it, and there was a full playground, and there was a public forest about 50 metres from the back of the school. Yes, the outdoors is a big deal in Finland. Finnish children spend a large amount of their day outdoors in nature. And it doesn't really matter what kind of weather it is. They go outside and they use the environment for learning. The theory is that learning in nature strengthens pupils' positive relationship to nature, which makes sense, and there is research to say that this helps with environmental responsibility. And while teaching methodologies were nothing special, I did learn one thing about outdoor learning which completely blew my mind. And when I say what it is, you, you, 
you'll probably be really disappointed because it's so simple that I couldn't believe I'd never thought of it back in the day when I had my own class. And as an admin principal, I get very few opportunities now to spend a day with a class. But thanks to another Erasmus Plus trips uh, later on, some of my staff were off on uh, off to another country. I got the uh, chance to spend a day uh, with a class and I tried out what I'd learned in Finland and it worked really well. I was really surprised because I kind of thought, well, I mean, it sounds, it looks like it. Maybe this was just Finnish kids, but it actually worked with the Irish kids as well. Now, prepare to be very disappointed in a very massive anti-climax, but then think about it a bit more after you hear it. I asked one of the teachers about outdoor learning and the different ideas they come up with. And was there any literature or guidance for teachers on what to do outdoors? And her answer was as succinct as I'd come to expect from anyone from Finland. Essentially, she said, in Finland, you have to ask yourself one question about any lesson, any single lesson you're teaching. And here it is. Can I teach this outside? And if the answer is yes, go outside. Honestly, that's it. But it just makes so much sense. Think about it for yourself when you're outside. Let's say if you go for a walk. Your brain somehow acts differently. The fresh air maybe might help in some way, I don't know. So I had to try it out. Um, and I did it. I, I tried it out. So I brought a class of 28 children, okay, so it's a lot more than the Finnish classes. I brought them outside and I divided them um, into five groups with five different tasks. And two of those tasks were basically book work. You know, basically uh, they brought two books out and I gave each group about five minutes at each activity. Now the cynic in me thought that the book work wouldn't be done at all. They'd probably do the other activities, but they wouldn't bother doing the book work. They'd use it as a kind of a break. But every single child was focused on the book work when I was going around. And I was really, really interested because we don't have tables and chairs outside, but the children found places to do their work, whether that was sitting on the ground, lying on the grass, or leaning against the wall, or using whatever play equipment we had outside. And one of the kids actually did his work sitting on top of a roof of a play bus that we have. Um, but I mean, he was working. Finnish children do this sort of thing even when there's several feet of snow on the ground. I mean, it's absolutely amazing to see. They showed us photographs of some of the work they did in the winter at some of the presentations. Now, you might argue that this couldn't happen in urban schools. Now, you, you might say, well, Simon, you're in a country school, basically, clearly, you know, with all that space. But back in base, when I was in Helsinki, uh, during the day when I wasn't in the school, I witnessed classes of children walking through the main thoroughfares of the city in high-vis jackets. I saw groups of children surrounding a tree in the side of a footpath doing some sketches. I saw another class in a kind of small wooded area next to a busy road. Being outdoors appears to be the norm and there's no reason why we can't do it here. But having small class sizes and going outside to me weren't really the deal breakers. And in the next part of this episode, I'm going to make a bit of a leap and suggest to you what it was that makes Finland's education system one of the best in the world. And if I were the Minister for Education, what changes I would make over here in Ireland. 
So there you have it. Uh, that is our first part of my examination of the Finnish education system, as well as a few facts about Finland and their chocolate and coffee habits, uh, as well as my awe of their of their transport system. It's amazing. Um, Anyway, I hope you'll join me for the second part of this episode where I explore the Finnish education system. That will be next week, hopefully. And um, if you've liked this episode or any others, please feel free to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast as it helps other people find it too. Thanks so much for listening. All the very best. Bye bye. <laughs>